0: Welcome to Ed Talks, an audio podcast presented by Achieve Minneapolis and the Citizens League in partnership with young education professionals Twin Cities and Pollen. Ed Talks is a lively series of community conversations about public education and related issues that impact our young people. Each Ed Talks features two compelling short presentations by cutting-edge educators, youth advocates, students, artists, or community leaders. EdTalks is supported by generous grants from the Bush Foundation and the Vern C. Johnson Family Foundation. Our speakers include Tom Rademacher, the 2014 Minnesota Teacher of the Year, who presents with one of his amazing students, Ariana Whitley, with a talk entitled, Students Lead in Anti-Racist Classrooms, and Peggy Flanagan, Executive Director of the Children's Defense Fund of Minnesota, with a talk entitled, Knowing Where We Come From Determines Where We're Going. This event was recorded before a live audience at Ice House in Minneapolis on September 21st, 2015.
1: This doesn't feel weird at all. That's great. <laughs> Not even nervous. Um, so when I started teaching about 10-11 years ago now, I really thought that I knew just about everything I needed to know about teaching. I'd read like literally half of 100 literally hundreds of half of books about education, Um, and it's always the most important stuff in the front half, so I felt like I was probably going to be pretty good. I'd interviewed, I'd gotten a job, I'd cultivated a fashion sense that only the profession of teaching could embrace, and I felt like I was ready to go, and then uh, realized once I got into my classroom that I'm actually a really, really white guy. And that I didn't really know anything about that or anything about what that meant in my classroom. And so I kind of turned around and realized that as white as I was, most of the teachers I worked with were, if possible, even whiter than I was. And so I didn't know where to learn. And it took me a second to remember that I had in front of me an absolutely like unbelievable amount of knowledge and wisdom in my students. And so I had to learn to listen to my students, especially as I became more and more convinced that I didn't just want a good classroom, I didn't just want a fun classroom, but I wanted an actively anti-racist classroom. And I don't think that I have to convince anyone that racism is bad. Um, But I do feel like there's a lot of convincing that needs to happen in schools of why it's important that we are actively anti-racist in our work. And it's because there really is no neutral in school buildings. Schools are built so fundamentally to privilege white students and so fundamentally disservice our students of color that if we are not actively building our space to be anti-racist, that our neutral class actually ends up pushing the bar even further towards harm that's already being done. So that's kind of where my commitment came from was was as I started to think about and uh, and realize that. So I started to, again, listen to my students. Um, And one student in particular is pretty impossible not to listen to. Um, I had this young woman in 8th, 10th, and 11th grade, and we are somehow not at all sick of each other. And so I thought if I'm gonna talk about student leadership that I would introduce you to a brilliant student leader that can talk about the work that we've done together. And so uh, a now senior in high school and captain of the volleyball team. uh, Give a very, very warm welcome to Ariana Whitley. Is
2: that it? Yeah. All right. Hey, y'all. Hey, how y'all doing? I'm good. <laughs>
1: <laughs> we are gonna cause trouble up here. Y'all gonna um,
2: love us, y'all gonna love us. It's gonna be cool. <laughs> <laughs> All
1: right, so um, we're gonna talk a little bit about um, Whitley's 10th and 11th grade year, which are years that is that me? I don't know. might be yours. might be your hand on the thing. Yeah. Uh, it. Uh, which are years that I really figured out um, or tried to really figure out what I was doing in the classroom and finally realized that maybe these problems weren't going to get fixed with a white dude talking a bunch at the front of the room. Uh, which is pretty much how your 10th grade went, uh, I think. Yeah. 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 <laughs> uh, so I'm an English teacher and I was teaching Othello and... Really thought I I did a great, I still think I did a great job teaching Othello. Uh, But uh, I wanted Othello to be an anti-racist unit. And so we looked a lot about how the characters interacted with each other. And that was a place that I introduced concepts like misrepresentation and marginalization and dehumanization to students. And we talked about not just the play, but the history of how that play was performed, which led into discussions about blackface in media, um, a lot of really, I think, deep and interesting things. But what it was, was a lot of me doing what I'm doing right now, right? Which is just talking, right? Students were uh, receivers of anti-racist ideas and I gave and they listened. So Whitley. Yes. One of my goals when I was doing this was trying to make it clear to students right off the bat that race was gonna be on the table in my classroom. So for you, what does it mean as a student when you are in a classroom and you realize that, this is, that you have a teacher that is ready to talk about race with his class?
2: <clears throat> well, seeing that Othello had happened in 10th grade, what kinda hit me is the fact that it took all the way to 10th grade to talk about my skin tone, you know? And you would think that growing up, you know, you'd be growing up just as a kid, you know, not really worried about your skin tone, but come to find out as you get older, you know, your skin tone plays a bigger factor than what it is. And when you brought up Oth- Othello in all the different terms and everything, it kind of hit me hard because it's like, Reading a play, you know, looking back on my history, we came from kings and queens and princes and everything to see that even as far back as to when Othello was written, that it's quick on how fast you can become a king and a queen to a slave.
1: Mm. You see why I invited Whitley? (laughs) Um, And how did you feel? Do you feel like the... You know me trying to step back and doing like the vocabulary words those big like the big ideas of misrepresentation was that important or
2: I I think it was super important because now here I am. I don't know if you guys know, but I'm a poet and Here and here I am now, you know learning more and more about the complexion of my skin and how important it is and how much it matters that I'm a 17 year old black girl trying to make sure that my race is still up there, you know, because now with everything that's happening, everything is, you know, I don't know how to explain it, but you guys know what I mean. It's, it's, it's been a lot happening with people of skin of color. So I thought those words was very important because now they're starting to come up a little bit more in everything that you see, whether it's hidden or it's subliminal, you know? Nice. So.
1: And I think so you bring up a good point which brings us to your 11th grade year so last year um, which for I think a lot of educators and a lot of people in schools was dominated by the black lives matter movement and by everything happening in Ferguson and so uh, the day before our Thanksgiving break last year was the day that uh, Darren Wilson was not indicted uh, for the shooting of Mike Brown and I came in that day ready to talk about podcasts, because I learned slowly, and a lot of my students just on the way in the door were coming to me and saying, like, are we going to talk about this today? Actually, I should be real. My students were coming to me saying, we're talking about this today. Um, And so we ended up just pulling a bunch of furniture out of a room and making a big circle, and... So just like you were saying, right? We, we took a lot of the, in 10th grade, maybe we were looking at it from a, a distance as much as we can. Um, uh, you know, Shakespeare is about as far away from us as we can get without it totally losing all meaning. And, but we could so kinda of talk about it like a subject. Now suddenly what I had in my classroom was a lot of students that were sharing in the process. So if Othello was, um, anti-racism delivery this was a sharing in this process and students kind of really getting to share their history and their story in my classroom and it ended up being a really like kind of defining thing for the rest of the year so what's that like to be because you definitely shared and you shared some real powerful truths in my room last year what is that like to do, like especially in a school, in a class setting, to kind of speak your truth in that way?
2: Um, I think it's amazing, to be honest with you. Honestly, I think my school, as far as fair and then you, is more open to switching the curriculum or just switching the day out really fast. So I thought it was super cool that we're able to take something so powerful and versus pushing it back and pushing it back like 99.9% of America do. We actually be that 0.1% and bring it into light and we talk about it. And it just, you would think that, you know, me being as, as young as I am, that I wouldn't really be going through so much or, you know, being treated or privileged or misprivileged so much just because of my skin tone, but, I'm only 17 and there's been a lot more that I've been through than maybe you have and your X amount of years as a... <laughs> <laughs> you know, X, you know what I'm saying. X amount of years, yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. um, do you remember, like, are there any days that really stick out to you from last year that that you really carried with you?
2: Yeah, you know, there, there's there's a lot, I mean, I talk a lot, you guys. <laughs> I talk a lot. And I really, I, I don't want to say I don't have a filter. But when it comes to me speaking my truth and something I care so passionately about, I don't have a filter. So there's been multiple days. And it's like, there are so many that I can't pick which one besides our final is the one. But so I know we're going to skip to that.
1: We can skip that. I mean, no, we can,
2: we can, you know, okay. slowly creep. I've been, let's creep. <laughs> we can creep on. <laughs> we can creep on up there. Yeah.
1: Um, I'm just, I'm trying to think of just like, Throughout the year, it, it just, it really was a progression where um, kind of as new things happened, as new, new ideas happened, I'd put like a new writing piece in front of kids or a new idea in front of kids or um, we'd watch an interview on CNN or something like that. And oftentimes I realized more than anything else, those served as triggers to get kids like talking and sharing and involved. And so one thing I thought was really cool last year was how much... Um, my class became part of the, the wider conversation. So, um, during that, that first day when we had that circle, there was just so many, like, amazing things that were being said in my room and so many, like, powerful and just, like, like, moving things. And, uh, one student was like, oh, we gotta, you know, like, the obvious reaction to someone saying something cool is they were like, I gotta tweet that. Um, <laughs> and so, to keep my kids from doing it, I was like, "I got it. I'm going to write all these down, and I'll start tweeting them as the day went on." And like, all of a sudden, like, you guys were being written about. Like, the the Huffington Post wrote about you, and like, the AP wrote about you, I and mean, the news come in, and it amazing. wasn't, like, it was nothing that I said. And in fact, like, I really kind of resisted getting interviewed at all about it because I was like, "I I didn't do anything besides like." The ch- the circle of chairs looked very nice. Like I was, it was super <laughs> symmetrical and good. And I, I'll talk about that. But beyond that, it was it was letting you guys speak, um, and all of a sudden realizing that um, a lot of people wanted to listen, and that kind of kept going. I felt throughout the year. You look like you remembered one.
2: Well, just the whole like able to see my my school in the newspaper and just to see, just to know that my school isn't very big. And just to know that I was part of something that was able to make headlines, that I was able to make news and have people talk about and hashtags and just everything was one of the coolest things ever. And it made me realize like, my voice will be heard whether you like it or not.
1: Mm. Speaking of. <laughs> so speaking of, uh, so there's a, If you notice, right, we're on a path here, where I started in the center of the room, and then started to back up a little bit, started to give kids more and more space. So Whitley mentioned the final last year. And the final last year was really interesting, because it was the first time in a lot of years that I could say I lost complete control over my classroom. Um, And it was definitely your fault. Guilty.
2: Uh, Guilty. Guilty. So... (laughs)
1: Uh, so what, so my, my, my thought with the final was, um, there had been two really cool pieces that, had, well not two really cool pieces, two really big pieces that had come out, um, talking about kids of color in Minnesota, especially like students in Minnesota. And one was this really great, really positive piece by Leanne Stevens, who's like the best person in the whole world and a, a teacher in St. Louis Park. Um, And the other was an article in the City Pages about Harding High School. And that's what I have to say about that. Um, And I presented both of those articles to my kids and I thought a really good end of this year, I have to throw out there, they did do final essays. You did do a final essay, right? Okay, they did do final (laughs) essays. Uh, And so this this was kind of a wrap up final, like so, you guys were legit, you were there, but I was like, I wanna bring some stuff together through these, of what we've done this year. I want them talking about this, I want them looking at bias and interesting stuff like that. And for a couple class periods in a row, that's what happened, and it went really, really well. And then, Ariana Whitley came to class, me. and wh- why don't you? <laughs>
0: okay,
2: <laughs> this is literally my highlight of last year. So, you know, we all hate finals. I know you as teachers, too. I mean, don't lie. You guys hate them. But that's, that's not even the point. Honestly, anything that had to work out with Mr. Rad was a pleasure to actually do the work for because, you know, you have those classes that's boring, but then you have those that's classes. That's the kind of
1: stuff you say after the year's over, though, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay,
2: yeah. <laughs> but, I mean... We, we had this final and we were supposed to come in and we were supposed to read these two articles and we were supposed to write your feelings and emotions out on paper, which is what I do. But this one this one took a completely different turn for me. So it was this lady and she was talking, what, what was the high school? What was the Is it school?
1: Harding in St. Paul?
2: The, Harding, yeah. Harding High School. And I don't remember this lady' name and it would have been really nice if she was in here, but we're just not going to. So she was in here and she was writing this article and she was just so many derogative terms about the difference between, you know, how... One thing that stuck out to me the most... I'm sorry, I'm a little stuttery. One thing that stuck out to me the most is there was a kid who was walking down the hallway with his earbuds in, violently rapping music. And I thought about, how do you violently rap music? So I'm, you know, going through the images in my head, and I'm like, that's that's not right. You can't just violently rap. I mean, you can, but that's... So, then as you go on towards this article, you see that there's a lot more just terms that's just not making sense.
1: I I remember one particular one, because it started the... So, basically, like, Whitley basically stopped the whole class at that point. It was just like, anyone who's reading the other article needs to come on over... And read this article. And read this article, because I don't like how we are being talked about. Right? Yeah. And at that point that was when like the wheels came off. Uh, <laughs> and the kids were, they grabbed that article and, and one of the lines somewhere near the beginning was something about uh, his job was to tame the students. Remember, yeah. So, um, so they started the hashtag we will not be tamed yeah you started the hashtag that we was me you guys tamed. yeah
2: so i mean you guys can clap if you want but i mean <laughs> <laughs> to make a long story short you guys this we never ended up writing an uh, essay that day that day i told my classroom that we will be tweeting directly to the woman who wrote this article quotes and depicted parts of her article to her and our hashtag was hashtag fair final And with that hashtag fairfinals, that way we was able to see everything that everybody was saying and it just got, it was amazing and Mr. Rad just kinda sat there and he was like, well let's try to, he would try to regroup, he would let it go, try to regroup and then he was like, you know what? Go ahead.
1: I was sitting there (laughs) thinking, they're not gonna fire the teacher of the year. (laughs) (laughs) True. But I'll tell you, like, from from where I sat, right, those kids showed absolutely everything I could have dreamed they would have learned or learned that they, I think they already knew how to do, right? But they they learned that they could do it in my room that day. And not only did, like, they they tweeted, and, and, you know, it was involved. It was a, a thing that they started, a movement they started, and it was all about them. It was authentically about them. But also, they didn't do anything more than really quote lines from the article that already existed, right? And that was a decision that I watched you make with your classmates when classmates were like, you know, we want to really go in on this thing and we want to, you know, I'm sure they would have been very colorful and creative tweets and I kind of watched you pull that group together and be like, look, if, we're, if this is going to be impactful. Right now, the best way to do it is to, like take away all the noise and just like be a mirror for what got said, and, and know that these are students that she is talking about, putting these lines that were put right back to them, and so like, and it was. It was super, super impactful just to grab those little snippets. And so that's really what I mean. Like that was leadership. That was tremendous leadership, and it was active anti-racist leadership. That was my students. 100% not letting the world be messed up anymore without ha- saying something about it. Yeah? Yeah. All right. Yeah. <laughs> do you have a, a last thought?
2: I mean, honestly, I just do want to thank you for being, you know, my teacher. You know, we can get a little sentimental for a second because I know you hate it, but... It was, it was cool, and I do appreciate it, and I appreciate you being one of few teachers, let alone few of white teachers, who was able to show me what my melanin meant to me and not any of the color teachers I had before and being able to let, to hear your students, basically. And I really appreciate that, because now look where I am today.
1: I love that, you
3: Peggy Flanagan, Mangan Uh My name is Peggy Flanagan. I'm a citizen of the White Earth Nation, and my family is the Wolf Clan. And I'm really honored uh, to be here with you. Um, you know, I think uh, Tom Rademacher is uh, is a pretty amazing guy, and clearly, based on Miss Whitley. Um, is a really powerful teacher who helps young people find their voice. And so I'm honored to um, also be able to share the stage um, with them. And super psyched that this was sold out, which is the closest that either of us will probably be to being rock stars. Um, So a sold out show at Ice House, yeah! Um, So some of you may be like, why is the girl from Glee here talking about education? Um, I was a little bit like Rachel Berry growing up. There's nothing ironic about show choir. It's why I went to school every day, which is what we'll talk about here in a second. Um, but I grew up in St. Louis Park, um, which uh, if you don't know is like God's country. And um, so grew up in St. Louis Park and you know, there weren't a whole lot of native students. I'm sure you're surprised. Um, but you know, my mom moved us to St. Louis Park when I was a baby uh, because she knew that I would have access to good schools, um, stable neighborhoods, and an opportunity to thrive. And I believe that my community uh, was really influential um, in my development. But I'll also tell you um, that I struggled as well. I didn't have a teacher who looked like me until I was a sophomore in college. And you know, growing up, I had uh, those handful of teachers, uh, Peter Redmond, who is a teacher at St. Louis Park High School, who changed my life, who helped me find my voice. He was the only teacher of color at St. Louis Park High School. And he truly saw and heard students. And he continues to be an incredible mentor um, and uh, active cheerleader in my life to this very day. And that is the power of educators but I also know a handful of teachers um, who were fairly destructive in my life as well and did not handle uh, handle me with care. And so, you know, during my education journey, and I'm gonna tell you all a secret, shh, okay, keep it here and on the TPT website. Um, (laughs) But I graduated from high school with a 1.75 GPA. And I did really well, I did really well in speech, in English and creative writing, in math classes where you know I had teachers who used different ways to teach instead of just being up at the front of the room and asking to write down problems right on your, on your paper. But it was the teachers that I built a relationship with um, and were able to really see who I was as a young native woman who were why I survived. And those teachers in particular in the the arts, in music, in theater, um, who got me through. And so I went to uh, St. Cloud State my freshman year. And coming from a community like St. Louis Park where uh, we kind of all just hung out together. um, And going to St. Cloud State where it was very clear at the time... That the African-American students hung out, the Asian students hung out, the Native students hung out, the white students hung out. And I was like, where do I go? Um, Because that was not my experience. And there were also folks, I started having pictures of American Indian mascots, like printed off of, you know, um, off the interwebs, um, hung on my door. And it was like, "What?" And it took me a while, right, to get like, "Oh, that's derogatory," right?" And then started putting um, there were like a couple of articles about Native students on campus who uh, were holding uh, powwows and community meetings. And someone was cutting those out and putting those also on my door with racist comments about American Indians. And you know, I went to the administration and I complained a couple of times. And we figured out who it was, but it wasn't until the last time we went to the administration, I said, wow, this is gonna make a really powerful letter to the editor in the St. Cloud Times that they actually took any action about it. Um, And I didn't really know what threat I was making at that point, right? I just was like, I think this is what you say, right? Um, And so from there, you know, I was, I was in show choir, shocking, um, and my choir teacher was leaving St. Cloud State, and he said, you can either stay here, or he said, you can either go to the University of Minnesota or you can come with me to the University of Michigan. This is not a safe school for you, for a whole host of reasons. And I went to the University of Minnesota. And the first class that I walked into was Intro to American Indian Studies with Dr. Brenda Child at the front of the room who looked just like me. And it changed everything. I was in a classroom surrounded by other American Indian students being taught by an American Indian educator and my whole life changed. Suddenly I was a sponge and I wanted to know everything. I took honors level coursework for fun. And for the first time was told that I was smart. And that I should, you know, start taking graduate level courses as an undergrad by Dr. Brenda Childs. And several folks that I know who are indigenous or people of color have a similar story that things didn't sort of fall into place. They didn't fit until they got to college, if they got to college. What an incredible loss of young people who do not feel seen or heard or valued. Now, I had teachers who were not of color, who were incredibly instrumental in my life, but I can't tell you the difference that it made to just have a teacher who knew who I was and knew where I came from and frankly challenged me to say, like, you are here. You have a responsibility to other Native folks who are not here. And that was just a different way to look at my education. So I graduated with a degree in child psychology and American Indian studies. And I went on um, to the division of Indian work uh, as my first job out of college. And my job was to help bridge the gap between the community and Minneapolis public schools. Um, Now, like, easy, right? Was like, done and done. Um, No, so it was a hard job. Uh, I was 23 at the time. And you know, really saw um, for the first time how families of color and Native families were treated when they walked into school buildings. And I could stand there for a long time before anyone would talk to me, right? And I'm a fairly assertive person, right? But for families who had had a traumatic experience, boarding schools are one generation removed from my family, that, you know, that is trauma within itself. And when folks are not kind, when they are not welcoming, um, we're telling families what we expect of them, frankly. So it was through that process, um, Carol Johnson was the superintendent at the time, who was also my superintendent when I went to uh, St. Louis Park High School, who used to give me rides home from school after student council. Shocker, I was on student council. Um, And, uh, you know, she was like, great. You know, I gave her a call. I didn't know that you don't usually just, like, call up the superintendent and be like, hey, I got this new job. I need your help, right? But she put me on a couple of committees um, that I was clearly way in over my head, but realized, like, that how the district worked or, frankly, didn't work. And spent um, about six months, sort of all during this time. I had also worked and volunteered on the Wellstone for Senate campaign in 2002, which also made me go, oh, electoral politics can be a force for good. Woo! Um, And so, like, that's all happening. Um, But really spent, he's like, well, if there's never been an American Indian on the school board before, and we're not having our issues, um, frankly, really listened to, we got to do something about that. And spent about six months trying to find that person. And, like, weird, American Indians didn't want to be part of, like, a government structure. <laughs> you know, like, we've always had, like, a really positive relationship uh, with the government. Um, yeah. Like, just, hey, just sign this. What does it say? It doesn't matter. It's fine. Um, so, you know, so that took a while. Uh, and then we had this, this event at the Indian Center uh, down here on Franklin, and it was uh, a community meeting to talk about education. You know, I was like really excited and fired up and Clyde Bellacourt, for those of you who, folks know who Clyde Bellacourt is from the American Indian Movement. So he like had just finished giving one of these like, with the blood of Geronimo running through our veins, kind of like big speech, like mic drop. And then folks were like, does anyone else have anything? And like, you never like, "Yep," you know? And I was, I said, yeah, I sure do. Uh, So, just wondering if anyone wants to run for the school board. If you do, you should come talk to me. Thank you very much. And then I sat down. And at that point, folks were like, why don't you do it? I was like, what? No. That's not what I meant at all. Uh, I don't have any kids. I'm like 24. (laughs) No, that's probably a bad idea. and then after talking to folks in the community, um, I was like, "What the heck, right? Like, I'm not gonna win. So at least we're gonna talk about the issues that are really important in the community, right? We're gonna talk about poverty. We're gonna talk about the opportunity gap and how, you know, young people don't see themselves reflected in their curriculum. Um, and you know, surprise, surprise, people actually cared about those things. And I remember a um, high-ranking elected official at the time uh, said to me, "You know, Peggy." Uh, you really should stop talking about poor children because you make people uncomfortable and it's hard for folks to connect with you. I was like, wow. Well, you know, if folks don't like what I'm talking about, they probably just they just probably just don't have to vote for me. Um, so, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, and. So we ran a really great grassroots campaign and registered voters and went to all the folks, you know, the places where people are like, "Don't bother those people, don't vote," and I'm like, "I am those people, um, so I should go there." And uh, we're able to do some pretty great things in Minneapolis Public Schools with our Memorandum of Agreement between the American Indian community um, and and the district. And we're still we're still working on it. We're still moving, um, but sort of through that experience. Um, and a host, uh, full host of others. You know, I got to Wellstone Action as a job that I had before CDF and ran the Native American Leadership Program and taught folks across the country how to organize and run for office and work on issues that were of importance to them. And that led me to CDF. And CDF, Children's Defense Fund Minnesota, um, has this program called Freedom Schools. How many of you have heard of Freedom Schools? Yeah, all right, good. Um, so, Freedom Schools is this uh, primarily uh, summer um, uh, learning and literacy program uh, for students, uh, K-8. And the, the purpose of Freedom Schools, right, is to have young people fall in love with learning. And the way that we do that is by having curriculum that looks like the students in the classroom, books that are written by and for uh, students of color, Uh, And by having servant leader interns who are the educators who are in the classroom around young people. It's very powerful and uh, focused primarily on the African American community. We also have Latino freedom schools. And the overwhelming majority of students who go through our program, 87% of our kids who go through freedom schools either maintain or accelerate their reading level over the summer. 87%. And so when we talk about like, man, we just don't know how to reach these kids. We totally do know how to reach these kids, right? It's that at times, we lack the political will to do what's necessary, to not talk about diversity, but to talk about an anti-racist classroom. It's a different kind of conversation. And that's what freedom schools were born out of, right? Sort of out of the civil rights movement. And now in their, you know, um, the way that they've been created by Mary Wright Edelman 20 years ago was to create alternative spaces where our young people could feel valued, heard, respected, and could fall in love with learning. And so when I was brought on to CDF, part of my job was to create American Indian Freedom Schools. Um, Again, it was like easy. Right? No, not so easy. But I would say um, that uh, Superintendent uh, Bernadette Johnson, who is here, um, woo! was incredibly instrumental in helping us to create uh, American Indian Freedom Schools. So we had the first American Indian Freedom Schools, focused freedom schools, uh, this past summer. Um, We had one site that was K-8, at, or sorry, K-5 at the Division of Indian Work was our our partner. And then another site, which was uh, 6 through 12 at the American Indian Center. And had a young man named Nation Wright who was a senior when I was elected to the school board in 2005, who now I have to remember is a grown man with a family hired him and brought him on board and he has started to run these this program we now are at three sites after school Um, so we are at uh, Anderson uh, Open Community School we are at Sanford Middle School and uh, Emily Palmer is here who's the the principal yeah hey Um, And we're at South High, and so we're running after school program, and then we'll be moving into, uh, again, our summer freedom school program. And I tell you that whole thing because I've sort of watched this come full circle in my life. I am now um, the mom of a -a two-and-a-half-year-old. Her name is Siobhan, Uh, Siobhan Mayangan hellendrung So the first day of school, it's always going to be a little rough on her teachers, Uh, as she confidently walks into the room and asserts who she is. Um, But I care about this more than I ever did before. Um, When you turn on the television and you see images of American Indians, or you go to a movie, um, or you turn on the you know, Sunday football and see a particular football team with a particular mascot, the images that we see of American Indians are perverted images. It is not who we are as Indian people. We do not see images of contemporary American Indian people. And that's why, freedom, you know, programs like Freedom School where our young people see other leaders right from the community who look like them, uh, who care about them, who are doing community building work, um, are reading books about who they are and where they come from and modern day heroes. That is powerful stuff. It is very powerful stuff. And that is what I want for uh, for my, my child and frankly for all children. Um, to be able to see folks who look like them, who value them, who are doing good work in the community that they can aspire uh, to be like, and you know, I'll just do a quick aside. I, I posted a you know, uh, Viola Davis, right? Uh, won last night an Emmy Award. Woo. And I posted this image of part of her speech, right, is that you know, she talked about you know, women of color uh, are just as powerful as actresses and, and um, they just simply lack the opportunity. Uh, and um, one of my sort of conservative relatives, I have them, uh, believe it or not, uh, conservative relatives like, posted under like, a link to the Wikipedia page of all of the African Americans who have ever uh, won Emmys before. And I was like, huh, I'm not exactly sure what you're trying to tell me with this, Uh, but uh, the first African-American woman to win, right, as lead actress, um, that matters. But it also matters, right, that there are no images. I don't ever turn on the TV and see an American Indian person, ever. Right, And my daughter just doesn't doesn't have that in her her life in popular culture and media. And so that is part of I think our role as people who care about children and as educators is to provide those spaces and that opportunity. Um, And how many of you are teachers? Awesome. So thank you for being here and valuing young people and seeing them and working to create anti-racist space within your school. It is, uh, it is challenging. It makes people uncomfortable. Uh, and in Minnesota, man, do we have a hard time talking about race. Um, you know, I, my husband is from New Ulm. Uh, I didn't think I'd marry an Eagle Scout from New Ulm, but <laughs> it happened. Uh, you know, and we'll talk about some tough issues, and you know, what inevitably happens is someone's like, who wants pie? Right? Which is like the response that we have in Minnesota when we talk about tough stuff. And like, young people will not let you do that. And so, you know, in this, in this space and in your classroom, to create that, that um, welcoming community where young people uh, can be heard and tell their truth, it took me 19 years to be able to tell my truth. And I'm still telling my truth, and it's still uncomfortable. Um, but we have answers, right? We have we have some answers of young people feeling heard and valued, reflected in their curriculum, uh, being intentional. You know, I'm, some of you have heard we have a teacher shortage, right? Being intentional about growing new teachers. It doesn't happen on accident that people decide to be educators right? And we have a responsibility to the folks in our classroom, to the young people in our lives, in particular of color, to say this is a pathway for you. And, um, that's also the additional layer within Freedom Schools that I hope that we are able to, to move. To have young people who are in the classroom, who are teaching, um, who are teaching uh, folks who are just coming up underneath them that say, this is a pathway for me. And uh, we know that that has happened with several of our students, but we want to be more intentional about it and hope that you will join Children's Defense Fund uh, in, that, in that work. So in my language, I say uh, Chi Miigwech, big thanks uh, for the opportunity to be here today.
0: ED Talks is presented by Achieve Minneapolis and the Citizens League in partnership with young education professionals, Twin Cities and Pollen. Thanks to our generous sponsors, the Bush Foundation and the Vern C. Johnson Family Foundation. For more information on ED Talks or to watch ED Talks videos, please visit AchieveMPLS.org slash EdTalksMN.